1: God's goodness and His faithfulness uh, invites us uh, to confess our sins uh, because we are confident that He will forgive us whatever the sin, however grave, uh, and we can trust in God's mercy. Uh, On that note, we'll read from John chapter 8 this morning. Hear God's Word. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to Him, and He sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Every church has to do the high wire act of affirming public moral standards and also being gracious and forgiving when sin arises among us. Jesus gives us a good example of this in three ways in this text. First, he exposes the Pharisees who would condemn others for their own agenda, either to take Jesus down or to make themselves feel righteous or to keep themselves on top of the pecking order in the group. Jesus doesn't allow that kind of condemnation. Second, Jesus speaks with grace to the woman. Hey, I sent your accusers away. I'm not here to accuse you either. It can be really hard for sinners to see that the church wants to be kind and gracious to them, and we have to work at that. And third, Jesus also points out the moral standard that she broke, sin no more. He doesn't demand she give a public apology to the world on the spot, but he is calling her to admit that she sinned and to resolve to do it no more. Now, as we receive new members today, uh, you ought to know that's part of what's going on. For some new members, there are scandalous sins in the past, and this isn't the first time we have received such. For others, there has been no scandal, but they admit that they are sinners like everyone else. Regardless, please know that your elders are doing the work of receiving hearts that are repentant for past sins, uh, hearts that are seeking to pursue God's will for the future. So please welcome with grace and open arms those who join with us today. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. please kneel if you're able and let's pray our prayer of confession. And back into God's Word we go, 1 Peter chapter three. Forging ahead in our 1 Peter sermon series Come what may, First Peter 3 this week. Next week we'll take a break from First Peter on Reformation Sunday and All Saints Eve, and I'll have a Reformation-themed message then. But let's read the first seven verses of First Peter 3 for today. Let's pray before we read. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks uh, for uh, all that has happened already in this service. You've assembled your people, uh, brought new members into this congregation. Uh, You have baptized uh, four um, young ones. You have shown forth once again the washing of the water of the word of God. We pray that that washing would continue as we uh, look into your word now. Continue our sanctification, our uh, being changed more and more into the image and glory and likeness of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. First Peter 3, the first seven verses. Again, hear God's infallible word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, this is a countercultural text, if ever there was one these days. Wives submitting. Uh, a a bit of a critique of makeup and jewelry and outward adornment and husbands understanding and honoring wives. That's the basic gist of this text. Uh, I again approach the pulpit with trepidation today. Uh, One hallmark I I believe of my own preaching ministry, one thing I'm trying to do uh, that I've gleaned years back from Doug Wilson is to make sure that I'm never embarrassed about anything that I find in this book. And that's a very important thing to keep in mind, especially on a text like today. Uh, From that, I've kind of gathered in my preaching what I try to do. I don't feel the need to address the current issues on their terms. When faced with preaching a text like this one, I don't feel the need to start with how the culture views marriage and then try to work work us back to where the Bible is. I'm perfectly happy to just start off and lose some of my audience by saying, wives, submit. And just preach it straight up. Uh, A sermon is not the place, I don't think, to start with unbiblical assumptions, even if most of our society has them. A sermon is not the place, I don't think, to cajole people into accepting what the Bible says. So I'm just going to start with what the Bible says, however jarring it is to modern ears. Because our assumption is that this is the very Word of God. Our culture is pushing against it in so many ways today, pushing transgender issues today, right? The headlines are already well beyond same-sex marriage and that uh, question, it's not a question anymore in our culture. But Peter addresses heterosexual marriage as if it's normal and the only kind of marriage, which it is. (laughs) But the world thinks, oh, that's so 1950s. Frankly, I don't care that the world thinks that. The Bible says what it says. It's truth from the Bible, not some poor benighted past that we have to grow beyond. So we really do need to hear the main point of the Word of God, straight up. Not adjusted to fit what most people think today, on one side. And also, not a tirade against the latest wave of cultural liberalism that's out in the news either. Uh, We don't unite around a message against them out there. We unite around a message from this. So that's my opening manifesto before I dive in here to the text. The, point, the theme here is Christian spouses bear public witness to Christ as wives submit to their husbands and focus on the inner spirit more than the outward looks and as husbands honor and understand their wives. So let's start with the first word of the text. It says likewise, which points us to some context, right? In the last two sermons, we've been looking at submitting to civil rulers, submitting to employers, uh, slaves to their masters. Uh, There's a similar dynamic at work, in the state, in the workplace, and in the home. We tend to separate them, right? We have this idea of sphere sovereignty. We get that from Kuyper. It's a very good idea. And it's important that the church should not overstep the family. And the church shouldn't demand that all the family be at church five nights a week, every week, right? That's, that's overstepping uh, the, the family's realm. The church shouldn't overstep the state and dictate specific policy that isn't clear in Scripture. The, the state shouldn't overstep the church and forbid it from meeting. We've been dealing with that issue some. The state shouldn't overstep the family and require quarantines and vaccines without a really good reason and obvious evidence. Uh, the family shouldn't overstep the church. Uh, for example, a parent shouldn't dictate to the church how to shepherd their grown child, for example. Uh, so there's all these spheres of authority that we have to be careful of. And, and the spheres, family, church, state, uh, they're all the same in one important way. And that is that each realm has an authority, and they have those who submit to it. God has made us differently. He made some to govern and to make policy, and he made most of the rest of us to be citizens. God makes some to employ. He has made others to be employed. God makes some husbands to husband a household, and he makes others to be members of that household. Similar dynamic, you see. In the family, children are to submit to their parents, and the wife is to submit to her husband. That's, that's the likewise here. Peter's making a, a parallel comparison between work, workplace and governmental authority and the family. We often contrast those, but there is a similarity there, likewise. Well, uh, more context. It, notice as Peter goes on in that first verse, it, it seems that he's talking about unbelieving husbands with believing wives. That's the specific context there. Even if some do not obey the word. I think he was probably getting some um, rumblings of that being the case. Women converting to Christ, but their husbands didn't. Now what do we do? How do I, how do I be, be married at like, like that? And here's Peter's direct answer. The temptation is, is to hound and to nag and to constantly cajole the husband. And even if it's to good things, right? Right? Try to get him to come to church. Try to get him to read the Bible with the family. Uh, but but it's, it's an awful temptation to hound and nag too much. What a husband will really wonder about and respond to is a wife who is not contentious. You know, he's think, sitting there on the couch thinking to himself, how is it when I tease you, when I'm selfish, when I mock your faith, when I won't go to church, you don't gripe and complain and whine? How come you don't respond in kind? He notices that she fears something. Notice that word fear. One without, uh, uh, let's see, where did it go? You're, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their, their uh, wives. Uh, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, I think it's the respectful in the, in the ESV. She, uh, she has respect and it's not necessarily just directed at her husband, right? Respectful conduct, she, she has a God-fearing outlook. She's submitting to her husband's authority, not because of him, not because he's so great, but because it was established by God. Uh, marriage should not be the constant power struggle that it so often is today. Uh, discussing this, I had an amazing experience uh, this week. This almost has never happened to me. My kids, we were discussing the, the me- message coming. My kids told me, "You got to use the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, because in that movie, there's this great scene where the wife says to her daughter, I can get your father to, to change. You know, the hu- husband may be the head, but the woman is the neck, and the neck will turn the head however she wants.' It's a fascinating scene. Well." Now I just used it, but it was crazy because the very next morning, I'm reading my R.C. Sproul commentary, and Sproul, of all people, included that f- incident in his commentary. It was great. Confirmation, I better use that. So, that, But that's the, an example of the power struggle, right? Like The, the woman's going to turn the head how she wants to, but the, the head doesn't want to go that way. And, and there's this tension, this power struggle. No, no, the structure is established by God. The husband is in charge, and he needs to love and understand his wife. Follow that, regardless how your spouse is behaving. Because you fear God more than you react selfishly to your spouse. That's part of the key here. So, uh, she has a, um, a God-fearing attitude. She, her fear is towards God, not towards her husband, uh, primarily. And he's going to notice that. that. That's unusual. That's unusual. In a godless society, I uh, know a, a missionary in Japan, Tokyo, and he uh, was, would, whenever this subject would come up, he would always say, you know, in Japanese culture, historically, it's very common that husbands beat their wives. And it's almost an accepted thing. Husbands establish dominance and fear and get their wives to cower and be intimidated. And then your wife will do what you want. That's the natural course of things apart from God, apart from a Christian-based civilization. But what if a wife, in response to that, didn't cower in fear and also refused to be treated like a doormat, and yet she willingly did what she knew her husband wanted out of love and because she fears God more than him? That gets noticed when you respond in love and submission to mistreatment. It's the same thing as last week. If you're mistreated by your employer, same thing. How do, how do we respond to mistreatment? It's the same dynamic. I'll qualify that in a second. I know there's questions there. It's the same dynamic. Um, uh, submission will get more notice than rebellion does often. Now, it's not that we're submitting to get ahead, right? We aren't cynically submitting to manipulate our authorities to get what we want, Remember, we're submitting because this is what God wants and this is the structure he's established, right? So th- that's, that, there's two other reasons there. One is it's good for your soul to submit. It's good for your soul. That's what Peter is saying uh, all throughout here. And uh, there's a genuine order to creation here. Uh, we saw it in Ephesians 5. It's also in 1 Corinthians 11, the first couple verses. The, the head of the woman is the man. The head of man is Christ. God has made the man responsible for everything that goes on in the home. And that, that's a, a revolutionary thing to say today. It's not that everything is his fault, but everything is his responsibility. When Eve takes the fruit and eats the fruit, God, God calls to Adam And says, where are you? What have you done? So uh, everything's responsible. Uh, The man is responsible for everything that goes on. And he and his wife should act like it. That makes for some specific behavior. She'll help him fulfill those responsibilities. And if she's doing well, Proverbs 31 says, his heart safely trusts her. And that's part of it too. It's not like, if he's responsible for everything that means he has to micromanage everything that's not the point his heart safely trusts her and she's trying to help and she's going to be coming to him now and then and saying hey i decided to do x today is that good what do you think and there's this back and forth with that kind of shape that design clears a a lot out of the way so you can focus on the real issues do we buy that house do we move there do we put the kids in that school If you're constantly engaged in a power struggle all the time, those real issues get muddied by the politics of marriage, and it's torture. Uh, But if the rules of the game are clear, you can focus better on the issue. Husband and wife talk it over. He seeks to understand her view. That's verse 7. We'll come to that. Uh, Most of the time, they can come to an agreement together. There will be times they don't agree, and she submits to her husband's authority. He's seeking to love and sacrifice for his family. Even if her husband is an unbeliever. Uh, so, and that's the same, just like we should usually submit to pagan employers and governments. So with a wife who converts and finds herself with an unbelieving husband. So that's the basic uh, picture of uh, wives being subject to their husbands. Uh, this was not controversial anywhere in the church from the beginning until the 1900s or so and the feminist movement. And, and that ought to uh, wake us up a little bit. I'm not going to go into that right now, but there's something going on there. A uh, couple of qualifications to all of this. Uh, this is uh, not to walk back anything I've said, but there are two things to remember. One, men and women are different right? Uh, Women are not inferior in skills or dignity before God. Uh, Men and women are different, and men should, uh, one way that husbands should husband their resources is by taking, uh, use your people, some people say, right? Use your team. Uh, Well, your wife is on your team, and she has skills, abilities, senses that you don't. Uh, So that's something to keep in mind. The wife who doesn't rely on his wife's wisdom to help him guide the family is a fool. Uh, uh, Wisdom is a woman. But uh, the husband also shouldn't take that as an excuse to abdicate. He is responsible. And if he just does whatever she says against his better judgment, he's sinning. He's responsible. So uh, I know that's heresy to to say today, but sometimes the woman is wrong and the man is right and he needs to lead that does happen uh, sometimes it's the other way and the, and the man needs to swallow his pride and say okay I think you've got the better argument the better view let's do it that way it, you do these things by wisdom so that's one thing men and women are different and and uh, the woman is meant as a helper not just as a someone to cook the food but as someone to help you see the truth help you see things better so woman, the, the woman helps in many, many ways. Uh, second qualification, uh, Peter isn't saying here that all women need to submit to all men. That's also clear. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And, and the word own there at the very beginning of, the, of verse 1 is important. Uh, that word is clear. It's, it's the Greek word. F- um, we, we have words from that like idiosyncrasies. Idio is the, is the word Own. Or, or you have uh, idioms in language, right? There's certain things unique to our language. So it's it, sometimes we joke that it's uh, the word idiot comes from this as well. Sometimes we joke it means idiot husbands. Uh, that's uh, less than respectful. But um, you get the idea. The wife needs to, to re, um, submit to her own husband. Not to all men. Not to all husbands. So uh, wives, you submit to one man. Not every man. And when you, as a woman, when you interact with people outside your family, like here at church, for example, men and women have equal authority. You may interact differently with women than you do with men. That's normal and expected. But as a woman, you don't submit to all the men at church, for example, like you do to your husband. So those two qualifications on uh, submitting in marriage. Uh, Peter throws a whole another. Uh, ball of wax at us in verse 3 do not let your adorning be external again he's still speaking to the wives here Uh, so and from verses like this many people think that you can't wear makeup or jewelry and and so on Uh, take the normal speech patterns that happen Uh, we say I walk into the living room and I say "My, my son's on the computer playing a video game and I say son don't play video games go read a book Uh, I don't mean never play a video game, right? This is just a normal kind of pattern of speech. You ought to read books more. Uh, Peter isn't saying here outward adornment is always wrong, but he is saying don't be dazzled by flashy, shiny things in the world. It's okay to enjoy and savor worldly things within God's bounds, but don't pursue them to the detriment of cultivating your soul. That's what Peter's saying here. Another way to look at it is at the end of verse 3, one of the things he says to, to be careful not to do is to be putting on clothing. So if you, if you read this too literalistically and say, no, we can never braid our hair, we can never wear gold, well, then you can never put on clothing? What? That, that's absurd. That's not what he's saying. It's an emphasis point. Don't overdo this so much. Uh, so that's, that's the idea. Peter focuses on the incorruptible beauty of the soul. That's where he goes in contrast. In contrast to the outward beauty that fades away. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of the book, the beginning of the letter, right, when Peter refers us to our inheritance that's kept in heaven. Incorruptible, undefiled. There's an incorruptible treasure Coming. So let's not focus overly much on the corruptible uh, things that we see and enjoy here, because something greater is coming. There's an everlasting beauty from fearing God and following His ways. So uh, I came up with this illustration. I don't know if it works. It, this is unique to me, so take it with a grain of salt. But I think uh, when we talk about outward adornment, beauty aids, eyeliner, lipstick, jewelry, hair product, whatever that is. I, I think I compare it a little bit to alcohol. Both are okay to use in moderation. They can be enjoyed and appreciated that way by God's design. But when you overdo either one of those, people kind of start to notice in bad ways, right? Excessive use of alcohol or beauty aids shows that your priority is probably in the wrong place. You know, two kinds of people have a lot in common. The, the overly done up woman and the publicly inebriated man. I think there's kind of a parallel there. Both are probably trying to make up for some other deep need that they're not getting. There's a problem there. And scripture condemns the use of both to extremes. Lots in Proverbs about beer being a brawler, wine being a mocker. Uh, Isaiah 3 talks, uh, Isaiah goes on for a long time about the women in Jerusalem and all their bangles and jewelry and all their things that they're so focused on as opposed to worshiping God. And there's, there's a condemnation there for that. So uh, I found myself reading some uh, Ed Clowney's pr- commentary. If you don't know him, he's uh, great. Uh, he was the first president of Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, a uh, renowned preacher, Ed Clowney. He had two quotes that I wanted to share. He said, "The point of adornment isn't to resist the aging process at all costs," and that's often the culture's view these days. And he also says, "Enslavement to fashion runs counter to growth in spiritual holiness." And that's—I think—that's a good quote. But you have to watch out for that word, enslavement. Right? You you can focus on making sure you're neat and presentable, and, and even beautiful in appearance without being enslaved to fashion in a way that's uh, running counter to your growth in spiritual holiness. So Peter points to the holy women, he says, and he's referring to examples like Sarah with Abraham. Uh, Ruth is another great example. Uh, Ruth accepts Boaz's grain. Uh, Ruth initiates a a request of marriage. Ruth accepts Boaz's plan. Uh, Mary is the other example that we read from in the text today. I, th- I find Mary's example very striking because Mary is the earthly mother of Jesus. Uh, the, the, the divine father uh, comes and speaks to her, right? And there's this back and forth between Mary and Gabriel. And Mary's asking questions. So how can that happen? She's troubled by it. But in the end, she says, let it be to me according to your word. That's a good picture of submission right there. Not never asking questions. Not never being emotionally troubled at all. But, but in the end, you, you submit to God's ways. Again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. Submission is surrounded by all kinds of action that we don't think of as submission sometimes. Ruth going to the threshing floor at midnight. right? Abigail going to David against her husband mary asks the angel questions so husbands that's an important thing for you to remember your wife may question your ideas that's not unsubmissive right that's part of the way the process is supposed to go god built women to test her man in countless ways by design that's that's there on purpose men should strive to live up to that test while women have to not cross the line to be controlling or manipulating. So uh, men, don't misuse this verse to, to feed your male pride and ego when she does test you. Right? Uh, think of uh, students in a classroom. When, you're, when your mom, kids, you can think of this as you take a test at school or at home. When your mom or your teacher gives you a test, they're helping you. That's helping you when you're tested. When your wife asks you 20 questions in a row, husbands... She's helping you. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't feel like help, but it's help. So she's helping you to wield your authority well. She's not questioning your authority, not rejecting it, if it's done in the right spirit. So, but again, to go back to the main point, the default setting is that she's willing to do what he wants. Wives, submit to your husbands. The main point, again, like last week regarding the state, is the submission of a Christian is a beautiful and glorious thing. Holy women adorn themselves with submission generally. Uh, And again, uh, Clowney had a good line here. He says, real beauty can still bloom along with wrinkles. It's not about the outward look. There's a a beauty uh, to Christian virtue that is precious and pleasing to God, he says as well. Well, we need to get to the husbands in verse 7 as well. Uh, Husbands, live with your wives in understanding. And this is the reason here why I read from Ephesians 5, verse 21. Uh, mutual submission. Uh, lots of people who want to uh, work against this text and the idea of submission will emphasize Ephesians 5, 21. Well, it says submit to each other. So it's, it's really an equally reciprocal thing, isn't it? No, it's not. It's not equally reciprocal. But there is, I would argue, a mutual submission. There is a way in which the man submits to his wife sometimes, and I'll explain that. But the master of of a slave does not submit to the slave the same way the slave submits, right? There's a form of submission going on there. Think of it like the employer-employee, right? The employer has to consider his employee's frame. They can only work so many hours a day. The employer submits to God's reality in that, and he doesn't demand 20-hour work weeks. Uh, 20 uh, work days, I mean. 20 <laughs> work weeks, nice. Did, the employer doesn't demand 20 hours a day. Uh, if you remember the, the Christmas carol, that's what made Scrooge so scrooge when he didn't want to give Bob Cratchit that whole day of Christmas off. Come on. Uh, scrooge there had to submit to God's reality of, of what's going on. The husband submits to the wife in a similar way. He goes out of his way. He takes a lot of time and energy to understand her. That's what Peter emphasizes here. And that's pretty hard for him sometimes <laughs> because he's slow, that's why, or because she's confused herself sometimes, right? That takes a, a lot of the, the freight in all of these texts is right here uh, on understanding each other because men and women are so different. Again, that's all by God's design. And husbands not, not only understand, but they honor. Two uh, ideas there for the the husband. Uh, I would ask that we recover a little bit of chivalry. Uh, Carry the diaper bag for her. Open the door for her. Stand when she enters the room. Not because she's helpless, but because she's glorious and important and and given honor by God. Here's your helper. There's a great uh, little illustration that uh, Doug Wilson gave recently. He said, uh, women... Uh, men need to realize, women are the kind of people that make other people. <laughs> Just think about that fact. People come from, other, from women. That alone should have men in awe. You know, When a woman walks by a group of men, it shouldn't be catcalls, it should be a reverent gasp. This is all Wilson, He's, I'm copying him. He's, you know, There should be a gasp and men saying, whoa guys, there goes one of them. It's like, We hold them in in reverence almost. And the men all stand up a little bit straighter, check their hair, their clothes. Are we we living up to the standard? That's by God's design. Um, Find tangible ways to honor your wife, to let her know that you're thinking of her, that you value her. It's important. The opposite of this, again, is harshness and abuse. A woman should not submit to a man who physically intimidates or threatens or harms her. There's a time to just call the police. And I've heard of times when the wife crawled out of her bathroom window to escape from her husband to her parents' home. That's pretty extreme. But husbands, we all need to hear this. Don't take out your anger and your frustration on your family. And you know when you're tempted to do that most is when you haven't taken it to God first in faith. Sometimes I think the reason that David sinned with Bathsheba is that he forgot to compose a psalm or sing a psalm that night. Not that if you just do your devotions, everything will be fine. But if you're right with the Lord inside about your troubles, well, excuse me, if you're not right with the Lord about your troubles that's going to spill out and hurt the people closest to you. So be careful of that. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell husbands to love their wives when she submits to him. This is the last point uh, I've got on this. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell wives to submit to their husbands if and when he loves her as Christ loves the church. None of us are perfect. We don't wait for the other one to get better and then I'll change, right? We, we all have to work at that uh, first because that's what Christ did for us. He didn't wait until we were less sinful to come to earth and die for us. <clears throat> so do all this so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's the last uh, phrase in the text. And this just means what other scripture says. If you're clinging to sin stubbornly, don't expect God to listen to you. So we need to uh, be seeking God's ways uh, so that we can remain in fellowship with Him. Well, I need to wrap up. I've, I've noticed that... Um, I, I've noticed in, in teachings that I've heard, and again, a lot of this comes from uh, Wilson. It also comes from the world out, out there. Uh, I've listened to some Jordan Peterson lately, and, and he often is speaking to young men who are not doing well in life and he calls them to responsibility and there's a connection there I've noticed when I hear that kind of thing when I when I when I hear pastors say husbands you're responsible for your home there's something in my heart that just swells and longs to meet that challenge and again God made that when you call the wife to respect her husband she longs to do that Sin gets in the way, but because we don't see how, 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 how can I submit to this guy? How can I love that woman? But we go ahead anyway, because that's what Jesus did for us. He died for us before we were worth dying for. He loved us before we were spotless and worth loving. The sacrifice is what makes it worth it. So, Christian spouses, we are bearing public witness to Christ, as wives submit to their husbands, as husbands honor and understand their wives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, this is a difficult text for us. It's so practical, challenging. I pray, Lord, that anything that I have said amiss would be forgotten, that, that your word, your spirit would be do its work of sanctifying us in our hearts, uh, showing us conversations we need to have this afternoon, uh, showing us how we can uh, do better as husbands and as wives. We thank you for the gift of marriage. Uh, You have set this up gloriously uh, to drive us, to call us, uh, to live more Christ-like lives, which will then uh, bring joy and health to our spouses. Uh, watch over us as we uh, seek to live in this way for you. Uh, keep, us from, um, uh, keep us from undue pride, uh, from uh, condemning others instead of seeking to see how we can improve ourselves. But We lift up all these prayers in the name of Christ and we sing as he taught us to pray. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As some of us receive the bread and wine for the first time today, and others are on multiple decades of doing so, we remember that we are all one before the Lord. We're at different stages of being sanctified, but we are all equally received as God's accepted children. So be careful not to see yourself as better than others for being here longer. This isn't a union pecking order going on. In fact, God often inverts that expectation. So maintain the posture of the tax collector in this parable. Seek mercy from God and claim nothing more. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. We do invite you to the Lord's table, all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you're acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus.
0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.